This is In Hindsight, Half a Century of Research Discoveries in Canadian History, presented by Dr. Donald B. Smith and produced by the Ontario Historical Society. great pleasure today to talk about episode episode five, which is about Peter and Eliza, and I'll explain their story shortly. This is exciting for me because it's the beginning of really four episodes. We're going to be dealing first with Peter and Eliza, and then three more stories relating to the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and I'll explain who they are in this first of four episodes, and I'd like to just explain at the outset, I've been working on this in this area for, it's unbelievable. I don't think there's many academics that have done this. I have been working on this subject for over 50 years, and I'm still passionate about it. It's just wonderful material. And in fact, just going through my notes in preparation for the series, I found that I'd done my, I wrote my PhD thesis proposal 51 years ago, I found it. And it's about this, it's about the topic of, of the Mississauga. It's about specifically Peter Jones or Kakiwakwanabi or Sacred Feathers in the in in his Ojibwe language. So it's been a long, I'm very long in the tooth on this topic. And as I say, it's it's just energizing. Well, what we're going to be doing in the first of these four episodes is looking at a relationship between a Mississauga First Nations person and an Englishwoman. It's a love story, and it begins in 1831. To begin at the beginning, I'd like to introduce you to Peter Jones, who's First Nations person, a Mississauga, Anishinaabe, and he had just been to England and I'll give more background shortly. He just been to England and actually had fallen in love with an Englishwoman. And they married. They were. They. They. She accepted his marriage proposal, and uh, actually made it on Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, eighteen thirty-two. And but he did give her a word of caution. And this is, he went back to Canada and uh, her name, Eliza Field, she stayed in England uh, for just to prepare herself and all. And she had to get her family's permission. Uh, that was difficult. Well, I'll explain that why shortly. But there was also other problems. And Peter was quite, quite forward on it, quite, quite open. There was a problem. And he wrote her just before she sailed to New York, where they were married, and then they went up to Upper Canada, to, as Ontario was then called, to the Native community. But just before she sailed, he warned her, the fact is, my beloved Eliza, settlers think it is not right for the whites to marry with Indians. Made it quite clear. There was opposition. And he warned her of this, didn't mean a thing to her, didn't deter her, and she sailed for New York. <laughs> it just, it's just wonderful. Very courageous woman, very independent-minded, and um, 
let's now go into a little bit further because it is it's quite a story. And I, I came across this one early in my research career, and I certainly yeah, enjoyed researching it and going right to the, the bottom of it. Well, how can we tell all this? Why? What's my what what sources do I have? Let's begin. Let's come clean about the sources. What makes this topic so incredibly rich is we have the diaries of both parties. We have the diaries of Peter Jones or Sacred Feathers or Kaki Wakwanabi. Uh, that's that's for the purposes of the episode. Just call him uh, Peter Jones, his English name. And anyways, we have his diaries, uh, quite a few of them. Uh, we have even more of hers, Eliza Fields. So we, it is quite something in Canadian history to have a, a the, both diaries from in a relationship. It's just extraordinary, especially for this time period, the 1830s. So thanks to those diaries, and, and that is part of the discovery aspect of this. Peter Jones's diary was published after his death. His, his wife, Eliza Field Jones, she edited it and brought it forward. And so we had that already. But it's her diaries that are the story. And I'm not claiming some great great kudos for doing it, but they'd already were known at Victoria University Library, uh, Victoria University in the University of Toronto. Their, their library had these diaries, but they'd been forgotten. And well, yours truly was right in there. And uh, I well, I don't want to get too cocky about this, but I think I was certainly, I would suspect the first to go through them diligently in the early 1970s. So I got, I had Peter Jones' diary that was published. I had her, her diaries and we're off. So what is going on here? How did these two people meet? How did they come to be a North American Indian and an English woman? Well, it's back to, well, I'll tell you, it's hard to know how much to say about Peter at this stage. I'll introduce him briefly, though, and we'll come back to him. We've got three more episodes. He comes in and out. Well, Peter Jones, he was born right where Dundurn Castle is today in Hamilton, Ontario. A beautiful, beautiful castle, <laughs> big, big home, huge home uh, on uh, Burlington Heights. And he was born in that site. There was nothing there. It was just forested land. And it was 1802. He was born and raised among his mother's people. So he, he, he grew up uh, as a Anishinaabe, as a Ojibwe. He grew up as a Mississauga. The Mississauga is a name that settlers use for the Anishinaabe or Ojibwe on the North Shore of Lake Ontario. Uh, but he, he grew up with his mother's people, with the, with the First Nations traditions and all, up to the age of 14. But then, just after the War of 1812, his dad who was non-Indigenous, pulled him out of the community and took him to his farm west of what's now Hamilton. And there, Peter Jones learned how to farm. And shortly after that, he was converted to Christianity, converted to Methodism, which is today United Church of Canada, is the the modern descendant of the Methodist Church of this time period. Uh, They were evangelical Protestants, evangelical Christians, and uh, Peter, for reasons which will be explained actually in more depth in one of the three later episodes, became a very fervent Methodist. And very much so that he did so because, well, he was, it's, it was his decision. He had 
uh, when he was, he never had a vision quest, which is very central in in uh, First Nations spirituality in the in the Great Lakes area. He didn't have a a, a, a spiritual experience fully, and uh, well, in short, Methodism fills a gap. It, for him, I think Jesus becomes something like a spiritual intervener for him, and uh, in, it's his translation into his own culture of of. Um, of, of, of spirituality was very meaningful to him, and this is quite. This gets quite deep. I don't want to do that now. Just to simply explain that he became a Methodist. He was. He did tra- translation. He was essential. Through him, the uh, non-indigenous Methodists were able to reach all kinds of First Nations Methodist, uh, First Nations people in southern Ontario, and he led them. Uh, Peter Jones was the leader, and he led them to start an agricultural settlement just west of Toronto, 20 kilometers west of Toronto, at um, at, the, at the mouth of the Credit River, which is now Port Credit or part of Mississauga, the great, the regional municipality of Mississauga, city of Mississauga, excuse me. So he started, it was very much in this village uh, situation. He helped with non-Indigenous helpers, including Edgerton Ryerson, who was the first uh, founder of the uh, public school system in Ontario later on. Edgerton Ryerson was the first missionary to work with the credit uh, First Nations people with Peter Jones, and they became extremely close. Uh, this is now in the mid 1820s. The agricultural settlement was a success. The Mississauga of the Credit River began to farm, and they started other uh, businesses. Uh, they, like for example, a, a sawmill. They had um, actually they even had a, a schooner at one point, and they 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 and they very they were successful adjusting to farming. It was a big success story. So the Methodists, the non-Indigenous Methodists, were very impressed by him. He he, he took training and became an ordained Methodist minister himself. And he was like the poster boy for the non-Indigenous Methodists of the potentials of reaching out to the First Nations. So he becomes an ordained minister. And in 1831, he sent to raise money for the mission schools in Britain. Britain at this point is the richest, it's the center of the British Empire, uh, which is the richest, the most powerful empire at the time, the early 19th century. So he's going to go there and raise cash. And he does. He does a missionary tour of Britain in 1831, 32, and it is very successful. So that is the entry point now for Eliza. The experience in Britain was good, apart from the fact that the damp weather was had dire consequences on on Peter. He became quite ill, and in Bristol he was kept. Well, he had to stay in one of the, the one of the Methodist family's homes for seven weeks to recover. It was at that time that a young woman, I was not super young, but a woman in her mid twenties, visited, and that's how. The link becomes. She was very impressed by him. Who is this woman? Well, her name was Eliza Field, and she was from London. Well, she's actually from South London. The other, just in the district called Lambeth, which is on the south bank of the Thames. And she was raised there. Her family had been in the soap and candle business for 300 years. They were very wealthy. They had two homes. One was in Lambeth. That's 
let's just say South London, that's an abbreviation, and it will work for us. Yeah, she, the home in, in Lambeth, near Waterloo Station, if you know London. Uh, Waterloo Station today, not then. But in any case, they had another home. It was south at um, a place called Norwood, and um, Holly Cottage is what they called it. It was about 10 kilometers south of London, and uh, that was their refuge. Um, the, her father, Charles Field, had uh, the soap and candle business going back 300 years. Uh, anyways, that, that their business was there, and that was an industrial area. They had this escape of going to Norwood, to Holly Cottage. So there's two residences. Well, Eliza was very impressed by Peter. He was such a, well, uh, he was articulate, he did English, he learned English, he'd been with his father for seven years, and he'd gone to school for a, a year or two, and he'd learned English, he could, he was, and, and such a sincere, um, genuine person. She was very impressed by him, and she said, after, well, she met him in Bristol when he was recovering, and said, well, when you're back in London, come come and see us. And he did. And he, he visited her, uh, visited them in both residences in their comfortable home in Lambeth and also in Norwood. So he became, he was obviously, he made a big impression. They were, the family were evangelical Anglicans. They shared that enthusiasm about Christianity. That was a, a link. Um, it was a bit of a jump though. Methodism was not, Anglic the Anglican faith was not uh, the same as the, uh, the Methodists had some dis differences. They were far more enthusiastic than the Anglicans, and the Anglicans had some concerns about about them, actually. Uh, nevertheless, they were sort of soul brothers. And, and Eliza had, this, this is, in fact, he was a Methodist, that was okay with her. Not so much with her father, but he came around. So they are um, just having a very happy friendship. And but things start to move. Peter's in London a lot because he's raising money. Um, one point of what helps what helps him a lot with Eliza is he meets her minister, Reverend Roland Hill, and Reverend Hill is very impressed by him because he talks directly. He doesn't have all. Reverend uh, Roland Hill was a, really a direct speaker and um, didn't like complicating the gospel too much. Um, he was an Anglican. Uh, he was an evangelical Anglican. And anyways, he got along with Peter extremely well, and that helped the cause. So they are getting quite chummy, and uh, it's quite extraordinary because Peter had what couple? Well, what best? I guess if you stretched it, two years of education, and Eliza was. She attend a attended a fashionable boarding school for eight years. She studied landscape painting under a French artist, Lynn living in London. She would gone she'd gone on riding trips uh, on in the country near the Welsh border. She'd spent vacations at Brighton on, on the English Channel. Brighton was where George the Fourth had built his fantasy out of the Arabian Nights, the Royal Pavilion. This woman was traveled, well educated, but not completely happy. At this stage in her life, she felt she wanted to do something. She wanted to make something of her life. And and then she, Peter just was an instant success. She liked him so much. As she wrote in her diary on July the 2nd, 1832, I feel impatient to be more useful, to be more entirely employed for the benefit of others. And she saw this career, this possibility of helping the First Nations, the Methodist First Nations in Upper Canada, as Ontario was then called, this 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 was attractive. 
But there's so many differences between the two. If Eliza's background was abundance, Peter's was want. Two totally different, different backgrounds. However, the connection was made, and it was a strong one, became stronger. Peter, uh, his, his duties were quite onerous. He, he gave, I believe, 100 talks, <laughs> and he did very well. He raised 1,000 pounds, which was a wonderful asset for the schools, and um, it, it really, really helped a great deal. Uh, excuse me, he did 150 addresses and sermons in that one year in England. Well, it's time to close it up. They're going to, uh, well, that's when Peter makes his proposal. He's got to go back to Canada, and he they they are doing <laughs> their, their relationship is really moving along. Um, I just did take this example. It's, well, my goodness, January the fourth, eighteen thirty three. Eliza's diary. She says there she she wrote that on that, her entry that day was Indian words. Dinashi, kiss me. Give me Wanawin. I love you. Oh my gosh, are things moving along? Well, Peter a month later proposed. Well, everything was okay with Eliza, of course. She was very, very eager to accept, but her dad wasn't. She found, well, his father had, I mean, what was this impoverished clergyman? What, how can he possibly look after his daughter in the style she's accustomed? And then, secondly, he was an Anglican, and he was a Methodist, so there was a religious issue. And thirdly, they're also in the family. One of um, one of the relatives was opposed to this interracial marriage. Um, so it it really it was uphill there. So so what happened? What what breaks the logjam? And that is truly it, because Dad said no, you can't go. And uh, well, it's Victorian. It's early. It's not. It's not yet Victorian days, but it's early nineteenth-century Britain. There's so many for her upper middle class milieu. There's lots of constraints here. How are we going to get around this? Well, lifeline. Edgerton Ryerson. Wow. Edgerton Ryerson was in England. He had come over. He had become quite a, a important figure in the Methodist Church in Upper Canada, as Ontario was then called. And the, the two wings of the church there was an English wing and a, a Canadian wing, and they'd been separated. And there was an, an initiative to bring them together. And Edgerton Ryerson was he, he went to Britain to bring this about to unite to help unite the British and the Canadian sections of the Methodist Church in Canada. So that's pretty complex, and we don't need to worry about that. The fact for us, all we need to worry about is he was in Britain at the time, and he intervenes, as does Reverend Alder. Uh, he was the missionary superintendent um, for the English side, and Edgerton's for the, the Canadians. And anyways, it, uh, Reverend Alder intervenes as well. And this is interesting um, because Alder is, his name is still on, in our lexicon, it's still on in, in on the maps in that the First Nations community at Rice Lake, south on the south side of, lake, lake, of Rice Lake, is called Alderville it, because it was named after him. It was a Methodist uh, First Nations community and they chose that name uh, almost 200 years ago and it's still there, Alderville. And 
our good friend Dave Mowat is from Alderville. So I had to, that definitely has to be mentioned. So well, anyways, then, Reverend Alder and Edgerton Ryerson intervene, and uh, well, it helps a lot. Edgerton was, well, it's sort of bit Hollywood, but it's a phrase that I think works. He and Peter were blood brothers. I'm not in any official way, but they were so close. They were about the same age. They were outdoors people. Uh, they were very concerned about uh, uh, Christianity and uh, very concerned about getting the First Nations. First Nations were in terrible shape because they hadn't, all these settlers had come, they landed, they didn't have secure title to their land. Um, they they had no, until the, they started farming, there was no means of support. But Edison, uh, he was 100% behind them on that. And um, he also fought for their land rights. Now, the only negative is, and this is the way it was, there was your way, my, my way or the highway. That's the way it was. Uh, the, the stipulation is it, you, have to, you have to become Christian. You have to, that's, this is the, in hindsight, of course, this is, the, this is the tragedy of it all, that the non-Indigenous people did not recognize Native spirituality. And but that, that's, it's just, that is the reality. And uh, so that can always be brought forward. But nevertheless, there is a very, in my opinion, a very strong positive. They wanted the First Nations to economically adjust and to have uh, be able to protect themselves. And they had to know English for that. That's why schools are so important. But true, anyone, I have to accept this, the deal was you had to become Methodist. Well, I'd argue that, yes, they did become Methodist, but they remained First Nations people. They were indigenous Christians. Well, it does work. <laughs> it's quite uphill, but Charles Field, oh, he gives his approval, and Eliza will go back. She'll go across the North Atlantic. She's not going back. She's leaving her home. This is a like a, think of this and just it's a milestone, really. She's giving up all her privileges in Britain and going across, and she's going to be the as the wife of a First Nations missionary. She's going to live in a log cabin. And well, her dad is quite, he's trying to do his best. So he sends her, well, when she leaves, he gives her um, to take with her um, some fine china and Persian rugs, some Persian rugs. Can you imagine all that for a log cabin? But that's uh, that was just his way of expressing his support begrudgingly. But uh, he was he was on side at the end. So Eliza sails and they um, she comes to New York. They're married September the 8th, 1833. And, uh, well, odds were against them. Uh, the New York papers heard about this interracial marriage, and there was all kinds of scuttlebutt in the New York press. Can you imagine? You're just married in all these, these, these stories, just really derogatory stories, which were picked up in Upper Canada. So they, they really have, a, right from the beginning, Peter and Eliza, interracial marriage, this is, a, this is a challenge. Didn't matter. They were in love. They got through it. Eliza persevered and loyally supported, loyally supported her husband, and Peter loyally supported her. In fact, she would make a very, very important contribution in the community. She helped with teaching domestic, um, non-Indigenous house, uh, home, home affairs, cooking, and sort of a, an education re, re, with some of the, two of the girls. She was very good with um, helping them with English, and she, she took a, a role 
and support her husband. By She wrote, for example, she transcribed the council minutes. She wrote petitions. Uh, it's not her It's not her words. It, the words are written by her, but the words are, are Peter's and the, and the um, Council of the Credits words. So uh, uh, it, it really was impressive. And the, well, we can't tell mo- too much more now because we got three more episodes. Got to hold back. <laughs> With great difficulty, I will. Just to end, though, they had eventually there were four children, and uh, one became a medical doctor, um, and it just it was a as a, a, a very very successful marriage. So let's leave the last word. Oh well, Edgen Ryerson, for example, that's that's I, I, he will be the second last word, and then we'll have Eliza at the end. Uh, Edgen Ryerson's comment after Peter's death, he died in eighteen fifty six, and Edgen Ryerson said, I questioned whether a a happier marriage than theirs on both sides was ever experienced. Truly, in life, they were of one heart. I imagine when Edgerton said that, his voice would have quivered too. These people were so close to him. Well, Eliza, what was what was her, what did she think of all this? Well, she lived up to 1890. 18, I mean, she's not in any way leaving so soon. Um, she actually, she married again about um, oh, five or so year, years later. And it was just a mess. She, she had no, it was a terrible marriage. And so it's in that spirit that she wrote this. Well, looking back, she said, then and now, Eliza wrote, this, these, these cruel things that were said and written about them being an interracial couple and all, and all this, all this was fated for disaster and all that was totally incorrect. It was a wonderful marriage. Well, she said, she wrote, I look with pity on those who from ignorance and prejudice viewed the alliance with contempt, deeming them not worthy to tread in the shadow of my honored husband. Well, you haven't heard the last of me on Peter and Eliza. Episodes 6, 7, and 8 are related to the Mississaugas of the Credit, and they will return. Thank you.